Thank you, Will and Julie. Will will actually be preaching for us next Sunday, so uh, let you all look forward to that. It'll be a good treat for you. Now, I want you to raise your hand if you like these things. You know, these are things some of you might like, some might not. But if you like it, raise your hand just so we can uh, see. $4 a gallon gas. I hoped you were, Margaret. Anybody like $4 a gallon gas and drive by the gas station and see the first number of four? That thrill anybody here? Yeah, didn't think so. Letters from the IRS. No? No takers? I've had letters in the IRS before. Funny, they never send you a letter saying, oh, you've been paying all your taxes. You get to take this year off. Great job. No, it's always, you get a letter from the IRS, it's always, yeah, pay me. Higher grocery prices. Yeah, seeing that loaf of bread get ever higher. Anybody? No? Yeah, nobody likes those things. Not one. You know, we want to keep what we've earned. You know, one of the most educational days in a person's life. You know, you've probably seen it. I, I know a lot of you in here have raised children. You know, when you have a teenager and they get the first job, and then the first payday comes around, and they're really excited because they've done the mental math. They thought, oh, I get paid this much. I work this many hours. And funny, now they can multiply. And then they opened the paycheck. Where did it all go? They discover the glorious world of tax withholding. And they're shocked. And the parents look at the child and say, welcome to our world. Yeah, nobody's happy with that. And that's why this spiritual discipline is difficult for us. As we talk about these practices that help us grow closer to God, that help us become more like Christ, that shape us and mold us, yeah, we get to giving. Yeah, you knew this one was coming around at some point. We have a hard time talking about it. You know, as a, as a preacher, you know, I kind of get reluctant to talk about this because I hear people all the time, oh, the church is only after your money. You know, preachers just want to live high off the hog. I tell you, you know, if that's the case, every preacher I have known is doing it wrong. You know, we're not all televangelists living in mansions. That doesn't happen and Fact is, we usually talk about money less than Jesus did. Jesus talked about it a fair amount. And following Jesus means we must yield our total selves to him. We, don't we can't just wall off part of our lives, part of our experiences, and say, this far the gospel of Jesus may come and no further. He can talk about how I'm supposed to love my neighbor. But he doesn't dare get to talk about what I do inside my home. It's not how it works. No, if we're going to yield to Christ, we yield fully, even in our pocketbook. And looking at this subject of giving reveals how our attitudes toward money can hinder or help us in growing closer to God. How we look at that wallet 
Folks, it's going to determine how close we're going to come to God. If we've got the wrong attitude, we're never quite going to become as Christ-like as we could. And the fact is, giving to God has always been part of our relationship with Him from even all the way back. I mean, all the way back. Well before Moses and the tablets. Cain and Abel gave sacrifices from their work. And that's not quite the same thing as giving that we're talking about. But even then, there was a recognition that we need to return part of our work product to God. That which we generate, we offer some of it back to Him as a sign of respect. A sign of gratitude. And when we talk about giving, we always end up, the word tithe comes into play. That 10%. That first instance of that is in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham is recovering his nephew and other hostages from a regional ruler after a battle. Like one guy came in, took a bunch, you know, they had their own little coalition. They took a lot of people hostage. and you know, It's kind of armed robbery writ large. And so Abraham gets his men together and they go after him. They win the battle, and on returning from that battle, we find this. After his return from the defeat of Keterleomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The author of Hebrews picks up on this. He uses it as an example of how Christ is superior to the priesthood of the law. Jesus, he says, is a priest much like Melchizedek, a priest before the law, a priest outside the law. He's not a Levite. Levi hasn't been born yet, won't be for a while. But he says, this tithe that Abraham paid, it's before the law, stands in superiority to that which is commanded in the law of Moses. And that Melchizedek fellow is an interesting Bible character. He's just kind of a cameo here in Genesis. But in Hebrews, he figures more prominently. And it says he was king of Salem. And we know that city it got a lot longer name later on, Jerusalem. Well, how was he priest of God most high? We're not sure. All we know is that he was. And Abraham retaking all of his riches and all of his, uh, uh, nephew, you know, his nephews. and then all, you know, He retook everything that had been stolen and then some. And then he gave a tenth of it to this priest. Later on, when Moses gives the law... The law that was handed down through him commands not just a tithe, but also other offerings. By the time it was said and done, they ended up giving much more than a tithe. And the tithe, one out of every ten. You know, if you, let's say you make ten bucks, you give one. That was proportionality. Rich person is going to have more to tithe from. They're going to give more. But then there was also a temple tax. That was a head tax. And it says of that, a rich person shouldn't pay more, poor person shouldn't pay less. That offering said everybody's equal before God. So both equality and proportionality were handled in the law. There were other offerings yet. And 
All of these funds, all of this would be used to provide for the worship at the temple as well as for the livelihoods of the priests. The the Levites, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, was a tribe of of priests. All of the other tribes received lands when they came into the promised land. Levi, instead, that tribe got cities because their job wasn't to farm. Their job was to teach. Their duty was to teach the law and how to, how to please God to the people, how to serve him. And they were to get their livelihood from that. That's how it was all structured under the law. And I'm giving you just kind of a real quick and dirty thing here. You know, if you, if you really want to delve into it, there's, a, there's more stuff going on, but these are just the broad strokes because, well... We don't really want to sit here all day. You know, if I've if I got to preach a long sermon, better that I don't do the giving one up to be long. You know, better off that one short. And that's how it went under the law. And then finally we come to the Gospels. And in the Gospels, the tithe is still in force. And Jesus actually critiques the giving practices of the Pharisees. You see this in Matthew 23 and Luke 11, because Jesus says, you guys tithe in detail. You tithe the mint and the cumin out of your gardens, but you ignore matters like justice and mercy. Man, they're not just tithing their salaries. They're tithing the produce that they grow at home. I mean, that's a matter of detail that I got to admit I don't do. Last couple years, we've kind of had a bit of a situation in our front flower bed because Lindsay likes to uh, start her own flowers. It's great. She, she loves doing it. Always, always ends up with beautiful stuff. A couple years ago, there was one errant mint seed. It ended up in the wrong thing, and that got planted into the front flower bed. And Any of you ever grow mint around your house? You learn mint is more invasive than kudzu. Half of that flower bed this year is what I call organic free-range mint. (laughs) Just going absolutely bonkers out there. That stuff was two feet tall. The bees loved it. And it was great. If I needed mint for something, I'd step out the front door five feet all I want right there. Nice and fresh. I didn't tithe it. I wasn't counting those leaves, one for God, ten for us. Yeah, that wasn't happening. And, you know, I don't even know what I'd do if you people wanted to grow mint at home and bring it in. We would have like the freshest breath of any con- congregation out there. You know, communion, you know, maybe that would make the little wafers more palatable. Than just throw in a fresh mint leaf, I don't know. But they would, they would tie that, they would be so concerned with the detail that they'd tie that. But Jesus said, you're ignoring matters like justice and mercy. He's not critiquing the tithe, he's critiquing their attitude. He says, look, your tithing's great, but your attitude needs a fixing. They're majoring in the minors and ignoring the majors. One thing we learn from that, friends, we can't buy off God. We are not giving to allow us to do whatever we want. We're not saying, oh, I'm giving this much. That means I don't have to love my neighbor. I don't have to get along with these people. I don't have to be kind and gracious. We're not dropping a check in the offering plate and saying, 
This ought to be good for at least one aggravated assault. You've heard, you may have heard the saying you know, in legal circles, punishable by fine means legal for a price. If you can pay the fine, you can do whatever you want. Folks, that's not how it works. No, we don't get to buy off God. Giving to him is not what covers our sins. God is not for sale. Well, we arrive in the New Testament times, the new covenant in the church. People will say, well, there's no requirement for the tithe, preacher. Well, you're correct. You know, it doesn't say in the book of Acts, and thou shalt tithe, for that's what we ought to be doing. You know, you, you will not find that direct command in the new covenant. Instead, a particular proportion is replaced with concepts like generosity and care for others and for the kingdom. And we ask, is the tithe still good? Should I tithe? Well, my opinion, and I'm labeling it as my opinion, is that the tithe would still seem to be good because it was considered respectable before the first covenant. But we also have to recognize the tithe isn't the end-all, be-all. We can't assume that our duty is complete just because we've tithed. I've given my 10%. I don't have to listen to anything else. Again, not how it works. And sometimes we, we will continue and have that discussion. Do, should we tithe? Is that what we have to do? And, you know, every now and then I found that sometimes when we're having a big discussion, we are ask, actually discussing it and going around with it. And all, after it all, we realize we've been asking the wrong question. Should we tithe? How much should we give? Maybe that's the wrong question to be asking. Maybe our focus needs to be on something else. Maybe when we talk about giving, we ought to be keeping in mind the purpose of giving over the amount. Because when we give, we give to the work of God. In the New Testament, we learn that our gifts go to the work of the kingdom. As Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he said this, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, the way Paul worked was what he would do is he'd go to a new city. And while he was in that city trying to start a church, he would not take up offerings from those people. He didn't want people to think that he was trying to get rich at their expense. Instead, he paid his own way by making tents, and he would take offerings from other churches that he'd already started. When he moved on to a new place, that's when the donation letters to the church would start. Hey, help, help us out. You've benefited from this. Now you can pay it forward and keep it going. That's kind of how he operated. When he moved on from Philippi, he asked them and they gave. And Philippi was known as a very generous church. They were not particularly wealthy, but he said, you gave out of your need. He was proud of that bunch. Because while they didn't have a lot, they were still eager to share. 
And when we give, friends, our work goes to do that work of the kingdom, but our, our giving also cares for each other. In the, in, the, in the first earliest days of the church, here's what was happening. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Those who had extra land or houses, they saw their brothers and sisters in need and they sold it and they took care of them. Friends, our giving does care for each other. Our giving enables the work of the kingdom. One thing we see all throughout the Bible, doesn't matter which covenant you're looking at, doesn't matter what part of the Bible you're in, God's people are expected to give to God's work. And we can ask why we need to give. Well, why do I need to do it? That's not a question that gets asked because we don't believe it's good to do. You, know, you can ask every Christian, is it good to give? They'd all say, oh yes, I mean, that'd probably be a pretty unanimous thing. Yes, it's good to give. But when we ask, why do I need to give? It's a question that may show we've lost sight of the purpose. Do I have to? You parents, you've heard that out of your kids once or twice. Do I have to? Well, do we want the kingdom work done? Do we want our brothers and sisters cared for? I mean, if you have a Christian that says, no, I don't care about the kingdom work being done, I mean, that's indicative of a spiritual problem. Our attitude here is starting to reflect our spiritual health. You see why giving is a spiritual discipline? Because if we're generous, that shows that we care. If we're stingy, if we don't want to do anything, well... There's an issue. Sometimes I've talked with people, and you can tell they don't really want to give. They may have gone to church for years. They may have been a stalwart in the church. Now, I'll tell you, I don't know what anybody in this church gives except for one family. Mine. And that's just my wife and I. I have no idea what the rest of my family gives. Couldn't tell you. I couldn't find out if I wanted to know. If I went to our treasurer and said, how much they given? You know what, what Crystal's going to say? <laughs> yeah, you can just keep on wondering, buddy. Yeah, I don't know. I know what I give and it ends there. But sometimes, you know, you know yeah, I just don't want to know what anybody gives. I don't want to have to deal with anybody and, and have in the back of my mind, well, i got to be careful lest I run these folks off or lest I say something they don't like, nor do I want to think when I'm dealing with somebody, well, I'll go visit Mr. or Mrs. Stingy tonight. No, I don't want to deal with that. But sometimes in talking with people, their attitude will start to come out. And I, I've, been, I've talked with some folks before, and they kind of had an attitude that, well, it'd be nice if we did this cheaper. And I tell you that sometimes in the Christian church, our motto is not no creed but Christ. Our motto is not in matters of essentials, unity. In matters of, of opinion, liberty. In all things, love. No, sometimes our motto can be, can we do it cheaper? And that can get frustrating because sometimes it's worth spending the money. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't know about that. Well, let me ask this. How many of you have one ply at home? Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's worth the extra.
Sometimes we can get a stingy attitude that says, well, if, we, if, we, if, they, di- if, they, if they did it cheaper, I, I wouldn't have to give as much. Well, is that a generous spirit? No, it's a spirit that wants to keep it. It's a spirit that doesn't really care how well things get done. It's a spirit that says, I want to keep it. And when Jesus spoke of money, and yeah, he spoke of money a lot, he pointed us to look at money not as a tool, not as a goal. Yes, he says, you know, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil, the love of money. Because Jesus knew, you know, he lived down here with us, they had, you gotta deal with money. Money may not be every, everything, but try and live without it. Even the disciples had a money bag. We know this because John says Judas was stealing from it. Yeah, great guy, that one. And Jesus, as he talked about money, he pointed out that it was something to be used for the kingdom. At one point in Luke, Jesus tells four parables in rapid succession. Three of them we understand pretty well. The fourth one is really hard for us, and it's hard for us because we don't we think it's on a different topic than the other three. Those four parables in rapid succession. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, and yeah, you, you remember those. The dishonest manager is number four. We get the lost sheep and the lost coin, real quick ones. Sheep was lost, shepherd goes, leaves the others in the field, goes, brings back Mr. Losty and Everybody happy. Lost coin. Woman looking for a lost coin finds it. You know, tells all her friends, let's celebrate. I found the lost coin. Jesus is obviously talking in these about how God goes out to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus' mission was. The prodigal son, it's a much longer one. And it speaks to us of how eager God is to welcome the repentant sinner. It's the only time in the Bible we ever see any portrayal of God that shows him in a hurry. Because when the prodigal son is coming, it says the father sees him a long way off and runs to greet him. The only time God ever hurries is to bring back one of his wayward children. That's it. The rest of the time, it's all on God's time. So he tells those, and we're right with them. And then he tells the story of the dishonest manager. And that one messes us up. And it does so because in the dishonest manager, you've got a dishonest guy who's about to get fired. So he calls people up and says, how much you owe? Cut it in half. Because what he's thinking is, well, if these people like me, then when I get fired, they'll take me in. So we end up with that parable. If we view it by itself, what we are thinking is, is Jesus telling us to commit fraud? I mean, that's a hard one. But if we place it alongside the others and then keep reading after that one, God is seeking the lost. God is seeking the lost. God is welcoming the lost. Weird one about money. And then it says, and the Pharisees were angry because Jesus knew he spoke about them because they loved money. They'd been critiquing Jesus. Oh, you're hanging out with all these sinners. You're hanging out with all these bad folks. And then Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a few stories. They don't care about the people. They care about money. So we get three parables. Well, God cares about people. 
Cares so much, he goes to look after him. He, he, he goes searching for him. Cares so much, he goes looking for him. Cares so much, he welcomes him back. Well, God cares about people. And then we learn money, friends, is just a tool. That's really the heart of that dishonest manager. He's using money to gain friends. He's using money to an end. Money, friends, is not our goal. It is not what we are here to do. It's not, you know, we're, it, at no point does he who die with the most win. He who dies with the most still dead. I don't care how good your casket looks, it still gets lowered into the ground. Some people, well, the Pharaohs had one, yep. They had pyramids, and they still did. Friends, our, our money is not our goal, it is a tool. We are not here to accumulate wealth for our own desires. We are here to glorify God with who we are and what we have. That tool of money is to work for the kingdom, not ourselves. You see, tools are to get something done. Now, guys, I know what it's like when we get to go buy a new tool. Oh, yeah, new tool day. And yes, there's something nice about a nice, shiny new tool. But you know what's even cooler? When you get to use it. The tool gets the job done. Is money useful? Yes, but it is a tool. It is a means to an end. It is something that we use to grow the kingdom. That tool is to work for the kingdom, not for ourselves. We're not given to look good. When Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, he says, you know, we're, we're not given so everybody hears it. So everybody sees it. He says, we need to give in secret. He says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And he's exaggerating a bit, but you kind of get it, don't you? My left hand's kind of an idiot. He doesn't even know how to write his own name. He doesn't know what my right hand's doing. What he's saying is, when we give, we're not giving for public acclaim. But no, in giving, we become partners with those who are doing the work in places we could never go. You see, we're not able to do everything. I know you all, you're good people, but not everybody in this room ought to be a missionary. I even know that's not what I'm cut out to be. Yeah, I've been around the world. I've met with people. My job is to equip people and to train them and to help them be able to go forth and do the work. You plant me in some foreign place by myself to do the work of God, it is going to end in tears because that's not what God has for me. But you know what? When I give to his work, I'm doing that work. When I give to it, I am a full partner with them. I'm not there myself, but my effort, the sweat of my brow, the work we have done crosses every border in the name of the gospel. So why do we give? Maybe that's the question we ought to be asking. Not how much should we give, but why do we give? Is it out of a sense of obligation? Is it something we dread doing where we're asking the question, can't we do it cheaper? Can't we do it less? Then I wouldn't have to give as much. That's not really the cheerful attitude God loves. That's an attitude of begrudging. We give, but we're not doing it because we want to. 
That's not the attitude we want to get from our loved ones, is it? Gentlemen, how good do you think it's going to be if on your anniversary, I guess I better take you out to dinner. Is McDonald's okay? Okay, you can get the 10-piece McNugget. But no supersizing. How well do you think that's going to go over? <laughs> yeah, you ain't getting a Happy Meal. <laughs> or do we give because we want to look good, because we want to look spiritual? We want to give so much. We want people to say, oh, that person gives so much. They must really belong to God. They should, expect us. They should respect us. And that can also be a method of control. Hey, they give so much, we ought to listen to them. If there's a disagreement in the church, well, that person gives a lot, so we really can't make them mad. They, they need to win. Friends, that's the wrong attitude. No church leadership can act that way. need to do what's right because it's right. And sometimes people that give a lot think that they're buying shares in the church. Oh, we're investing, but we're not getting the voting shares. We're not getting the ones where we fill out the proxy and we make the decision. No, Jesus, friends, the church is a monarchy. We got a king. It's not a publicly held corporation. No, we're not giving so others look at us and think that we're great. But maybe we ought to give to honor God and to build the kingdom there where we recognize his gifts to us. We want to show appreciation. Because if that is our meaning for our reason for giving, then the, the wall this talk about, a, about, about amounts doesn't matter so much. Because whatever we give, we're going to give with a smile on our face and a song on our, in our hearts, knowing that what we give is building the kingdom. We want the kingdom to grow. We invest in it. Friends, giving was never intended to be a chore. It is not something that should fill us with dread. No, we join in the work of the kingdom. How can a Christian be annoyed by joining in the work of, a, of the kingdom? You know, if, if that's the case, we got a problem. It's time to check ourselves. When we give, what we are doing is we place the kingdom ahead of ourselves. We show our devotion, our appreciation for God in a real and a tangible way. God, you have done this for me. I'm returning it to you. Yes, there's blessings for giving. But I do want to say, even though you're going to find some preachers out there, they'll say, well, if you give to us, God's going to make you rich. God's got a name for guys like that. He calls them liars. I'm not guaranteeing you're going to get rich by putting a lot in the offering plate. I can guarantee you you're going to be blessed. I can guarantee you that when you give and do so generously in the right spirit, friends, God will notice and God will in some way bless you. But not all blessings are financial. No, what God wants us to do, he, wants, he has wanted his people down through the ages to be generous to his work. Whatever that generosity means. and How, do we, how can we be that generous giver? Well, number one, you've got to be a planning giver. 
Paul tells the Corinthians, hey, I'm going to be there. I'm going to pick up an offering plan for it. We don't want to have to you know, mess around with this when I get there. I want it to be ready to go. Build it into your budget. Start where you can. You build from there. Now, most folks probably don't have a ton of slack in the budget. That's not how life works. We don't usually have 10, 20% of our income coming in that we're just not using. Doesn't happen. What should we build to? Again, I'm going to give you my opinion. This is not a thus saith the Lord. This is just what Phil has reasoned. I do think a tithe is a worthy goal. But it probably takes a long time to work up to. You know, you're not going to start up next week and just bring in 10%. Ain't going to happen. But you can sit down and say, well, going into next year, we're going to get a little bit of a raise. Here's what we can do. We can budget this, budget this out. The amount, the proportion is between you and God. Only you can answer the question, is it generous? And over time, you can build to it. But don't worry about what, giving what you don't have. You can say, man, I, you know, missionary will come in. You'll think, man, I wish I could give a million dollars to this. Be great. One little problem. Ain't got a million I can give. But remember, the widow with her mites, when she dropped them in the offering box, Jesus didn't laugh. She should have kept it. That ain't going real far. That ain't going to buy any gas for the donkey. No, he said, she has given out of her need. She has given so much more than the guy who walked in here with the money bags that were clanking. Yeah, he gave more money. She was more generous. Plan to be generous. Try to build that into your budget. And then when you give, be a joyful giver. You want to do that? Remember the purpose. Why are you giving? Yeah, sometimes you'll be cutting a check and think, man, this could be a car payment. Yeah, could be. But remember why you're giving. It's not money thrown into a hole. It is an investment in the eternal kingdom of God. And one day you are going to meet people in heaven who are there because you partnered with missionaries that went to them. Because you gave to works that trained preachers who spoke to them. Because you were generous, people will be looking upon the face of God for eternity. An attitude check here is worthwhile, friends. Yeah, when we talk about money, it's never an easy conversation. What, what's going on in our heads and our hearts? Can we say, yes, the kingdom of God is worth it to us? It was important enough that God sent his son. It's important enough that we be generous too. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you, Lord, for you did not withhold from us even your only son. Lord, help us to build that generosity in our lives, to be eager to, help, to give to your kingdom that your work may go forward. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.